Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, 3M, and by DieHard. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Welcome to MotorWeek Podcast number 88. I am John Davis, and sitting around our table in Studio C today is producer, writer, and two-wheeling reporter, Brian Robinson. Glad to be here. Our road test producer, Ben Davis. Hello. Our writer, Patrick Lucas. I am Patrick Lucas. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we're all very glad for that, Patrick. And our assistant producer, you just heard from, Greg Carlos. What's cracking, fellas? Also, we've got with us today our intern, Joe Ligo, who's going to be handling the bell duties when we get around to our lightning round. We'll also look at our MotorWeek mailbag. Uh, but we're going to get right to it and talk about three of the vehicles that have been in our lot in the last uh, few weeks. First one, Bentley Continental GT Speed Convertible. Okay, excess on wheels, but did you like it? <laughs> It's fast. <laughs> it lives up to its name. Yeah, it definitely lives up to the GT speed. Uh, 616 horsepower, 590 pound-feet of torque. Um, I'll say that after I drove it for, I don't know, 10 minutes, the novelty of driving a Bentley wore off. But then... <laughs> You're I, obviously not a, but, rap, a, rack, a, a rap star. But then I turned on the neck warmers, and oh, that was, <laughs> I was right back me. at home. <laughs> neck warmers in summer, all right. Hey, I guess it starts with the GT Speed Coupe, which was the fastest right. Bentley ever at 205 miles an hour. Basically just the GT with uh, engine cranked up and uh, with some recalibration but uh from there to the convertible same exterior treatments but a nicely then, nice looking convertible with the top down yeah for sure it's the continental has always been a sexy car and uh, looks even more so now it's hard to believe that that chassis uh, began life with the uh, uh with volkswagen on the uh phaeton phaeton and have it's been used on everything from uh uh, Porsche SUVs onto Bentleys. I mean, it's, they've got an amazing amount of work out of that chassis. I think they've pretty much all been excellent vehicles. Yes, too. they have. I was a little up. I was a little bummed out that some of the creature comforts and inside weren't as nice as an Audi A8. Per se. Just the design going into it. After driving it for a day or two, you start picking up on things that look a little cheap for a Bentley. For instance, the Breitling clock looks awesome. The dials mm-hmm. on it look perfect. Works of art. But then you start focusing on the dials of the speedometer and tachometer. They look like they're straight off of a Sebring or something. Mm. And then you notice the turn signal stalks and wiper stalks. They look budget Volkswagen, and as well as the shifter plate around the shifter. They all look like parts been parts off of a Jetta. Harsh. Ooh. What do you, what do you Ooh. want for $270,000? <laughs> well, I, I want it to look as nice as an A8 for 100000 less or you know, 150000 less. There's just no excuse. You know, you're right about that. When you think about if we all basically took a vote on what's probably got some of the, the nicest interior on the market today, it would probably might well be an Audi because they've done <laughs> such a great job, and the A8 is a beautiful car. And you would think that they would be thinking, but I guess they figure maybe uh, Bentley owners aren't going to look that far down market. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> just the whole, you know, Aren't you large, paying for the engine? Large price equals the best quality the yeah, or the you best want. you can get, but not in this case. But again, even that engine began life as a Volkswagen engine, so. Sure, yeah. I mean, Bentley engineers kind of, they put their own, do some head work on it and kind of massage it, so it puts out a lot more power than the Audi version, but yeah, it's just the Audi 
you can get that same engine in the A8. It is a it is a very nice performing car, though. I mean, I, I think it not only does is it fast, but I frankly felt that it felt more agile than its size indicates. I mean, in line with a lot of recent Bentleys that we've had. It was definitely fast, especially in a straight line. But the big thing with that, like even when you're cruising at like 100, I'm not saying that I did that. but <laughs> Of course not. not if you were, either. like you can just – hit the gas and the thing just takes off when you're already yeah, doing it. Yeah, it's kind of scary. And then you let off the throttle and the thing wants to keep going. The turbos take a while to kind of settle down. Yeah, it doesn't, just it doesn't look as menacingly fast as it is. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty awesome. Much like myself. Not that it, <laughs> not that it really matters, but the uh, the top itself was uh, almost a work of art and the fact of how quiet it was and that you you really felt like you were in a coupe. It was, they've done a remarkable job on that. All right, I guess we've uh, bent, we've uh, pegged the, the needle on the speed about as much as we can. Let's move on to um, one of the vehicles that's key to the rebirth of uh, an American brand that's been basically on its heels for the last few years, and that's Lincoln, and the new Lincoln MKZ. Okay, uh, is it more than a gussied-up fusion? I guess that's the first thing. Yeah, I think for the first time in a long time, it really differ- differentiated it from the fusion um, overall, I would say it's a very nice piece. The interior is really nice, but it still doesn't look great to me. I mean, I don't care how much I hear about how great the split wing grill is. It's just not working for me. <laughs> I like but, well, uh, we keep, it is the best one they've done yet. Well, it's still, you know, it's still not great to me anyway. Yeah. Uh, it's a personal opinion, but it, you know, it seemed to ride nice. Uh, most people have driven the V6 and I hear that's pretty nice, but we had the two liter EcoBoost. Which is a great engine, but it's oh, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's really fitting to be in a luxury car. Yeah, I mean, basically in this market, every time the, you've got to have a V6 for a lot of luxury buyers, they just will not look at a four-cylinder, even though uh, that is an engine you can get in the MKZ that you can't get in the Fusion. Uh, I, I mean, I'm just not a huge fan of the car. Uh, wasn't a fan of the styling. I really wasn't a fan of the push-button shifter. Uh, yeah. just slow I and I don't mind that so much I, I, just yeah, I thought I was going to mind yeah. it but actually I have to tell you remember, it reminded me of my youth when we used to have them at Chrysler so uh, it didn't bother me so much didn't, well it didn't do anything for me you like, <laughs> you like the rotary dials yeah. better no I don't just give, me, just give me a standard shifter please um or I'll take my business to Fusion, you know? <laughs> Yikes. I thought they did it. Uh, I thought it was a pretty car. Uh, a split wing, split uh, wing grill uh, aside, uh, the interior, I thought, was much more upscale than the Fusion. I was surprised, like everyone else, at how well they managed to differentiate it from Fusion. But uh, when you wrote the uh, road test uh, draft, uh, Brian, you sort of summed it up at the end by Asking, and I'll ask everybody here, is, you think anybody's still listening that might even be interested in a Lincoln? Is it too little, too late? Um, it might be too late. It's not too little. I mean, I think they certainly made a good leap with it. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure we, I don't really have a good answer for you there. <laughs> it's, I think they've done, if you look at other uh, premium brands from mainstream automakers, it's uh, you know, car to car, it's it's competitive, but I think they're going to have to do a lot more to, well, I, even to become a Cadillac. It took Cadillac well over a decade to build themselves back up, and it's going to take at least that long for Lincoln. It's a good amount of luxury for yeah. thirty seven, yeah, thirty eight grand. Fairly priced. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty decent bargain. And they do have a hybrid. They do have the uh, fusion yeah. hybrid system in back it. Back to the push button trans. Yeah. It's 
Uh, I'm down with the technology, but I think they could have done a little more. I mean, freeing up all that space in the center console, but it was pretty much just a normal center console there. They they could have done a little more there. So Put I'm some not, more usefulness into yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. Now that they don't have the shifter down there, they could have uh, opened that up, given them more of a you know open air, luxurious feel instead of uh, the similar feel of the Fusion. So I don't know. First step. Let's move on now to a car that I think I'll be very surprised if we're not fairly universally uh, uh, in like with it, and that's the Audi A8 TDI. I'm in love with it. (laughs) Far beyond like. And the reasons are? Um, We know you like the interior. First time I jumped into it, it had a half a tank in it, and it said my destination to empty was uh, almost 400 miles. (laughs) So we're talking close to 800-mile range on a full tank. That alone signed the contract for me. Yeah, I mean, it's always encouraging when you're on the highway and you're actually watching your range go up. <laughs> uh, it's just, I, I can't really pick on anything about this car. I it's mean, whisper the, quiet, the V6 too. turbo diesel has got tons of torque, man. Step on the gas and you're gone. All-wheel drive puts it down and it's just... It's a heck of a car for sure. Um, I think all, the best thing to me, I mean, as great as it is, um, it's not that much more than the base A8, and it's way cheaper than the turbo V8 mm-hmm. gas and the W12. So it's not like you're paying a huge premium for it. It would certainly be my uh, engine of choice if I were to buy an A8. And uh, although you got to get the long wheelbase, as of right now, all the uh, diesels are long wheelbase. Which didn't bother me in this car. I thought it would. I thought I would feel like I was driving a limousine around. But uh, it's such a delightful car to drive. I mean, the A8 itself, uh, has, it's been my favorite, I guess, almost since it originated, came out, first came out. And every iteration of it, they seem to make it more of a standout. Yeah, you can probably get a little bit more over-the-top luxury in some other vehicles. And you can argue all day long on whether or not, uh, you know, a Mercedes S-Class or a top BMW is 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 a better car overall but there's something about the audi a8 that just feels right when you get in it and it's so classy everything about it it's just classy sporty beautiful car <clears throat> well like i said i figured just about everybody like any other comments let's move Small on now. trunk if we want to talk negatives well, I, I, I got another negative right, 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 come on throw it in a small trunk Small truck. Incredibly small, like mid-sized car, small. And Greg? It's a little bit complicated. There's a lot going on uh, in the car. Uh, there's almost too much going on. I I was driving home, and I just wanted to turn off the rear AC because it was blaring in my ear. I'm trying to listen to my death metal music. <laughs> and I just I could That's not, your first problem. <laughs> I, could, I could not for the life of me figure it out and drive at the same time all right i got one how, how long did it take you to figure out how to put down the shades in the back <laughs> i just gave up <laughs> oh, it's the rear window switch right? i know I it, but it i was kept on the clapper or something. i kept looking for a separate switch to put down the shades on the side windows in the rear and it took me forever it's like oh multi-purpose buttons <laughs> It's the wave of the future. <laughs> all right, well, we had to nitpick it. it just a little bit just to show that Sorry, uh, we're not all proud of these. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, time for our lightning round. Uh, Joe's here with the bell. Uh, after two minutes, he'll ring it if we haven't reached the end of this, uh, exhausted this particular question. And this is a very self-serving question, and that's good. <laughs> a new season of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine, ta-da, premieres soon. And without giving it too much away, uh, this is our 33rd season. 
And uh, gentlemen, as we move into that, what are you looking forward to? I mean, what do you think we're going to be talking about this year that's exciting and what what events are coming up that, that we're going to be able to tell everybody about? Any general thoughts about Season 33? Well, we always try to start off with a bang, and we got a Bugatti coming up in show one, so I guess that's bang. the biggest thing to uh, – Look forward to. And a Ferrari after that, the uh, the F12, yeah. and the new Corvette Sting. Cherokee. Getting ready to uh, drive the Cherokee. Excited and about that. The nice thing about what we do on our testing is that we cover the waterfront. We go all the way from the least expensive car you buy to the dream cars. I thought maybe we were going to do some boats or something, too. Well, <laughs> we've done a couple of those in the past as well. True, None on the schedule right now. I'm just, uh, I've been on so many EV trips this past year that I'm, I'm very curious to see given an entire year, uh, the 2014 model year, mm-hmm. what's actually going to happen. you got the new BMW, you got the Spark EV, very limited release, though. But um, you got the, this, the, the next e- Tesla is yeah, coming, Yeah, the next too. Tesla, the Fit EV is rumored for 14 or 15. Right. I'm very curious to see if the market is there yet. So, I'm, And what I'm automakers sure are going to do to make the market real. Yeah. I mean, some of the moves that BMW is talking about with the i3 about providing uh, a fleet of dealer loaner cars. Well, it doesn't sound any different than you renting a car from the airport. If they do it, that it's convenient and you don't have to sign your life away every time you go in, yeah. it could mean that people won't worry about range anxiety quite as much. It'll be interesting. Ben, how about you? I'm looking forward to uh, going to Roebling again and seeing what <laughs> oh, kind of heavy hitters uh, are going to show up. I'm sure we'll have a Corvette down and there. And different and exciting camera angles we can bring to you that we haven't before. Yeah. All kinds of crazy technology. Uh, Mustang. <laughs> uh, new Mustang uh, should be coming out pretty By soon. next spring. We'll, yeah, we'll, yeah. Uh, we'll know what it looks like. And awesome. Is it, will it be, be retro or will they do something different? I'm sure it'll have an Aston Martin-inspired grill on it. They've yeah. already got camo pics <laughs> of it. <laughs> Although the, these days the uh, the camouflage photographs are so complete, you can barely tell what anything looks like anymore. But it's going to be interesting to see if they follow through on the Mustang with their threat to to basically walk away from the uh, uh, retro look or not. Yeah, I think that's a given. They're... Oh, that's it, Joe. <laughs> Go ahead, Brian. Finish the thought. Finish the thought. Okay. What's the point of the bell? We're not going to buy it. No, he gets to finish it. It's like throwing a ball in basketball. You know, no, if it's already <laughs> released. You, it, you, it counts. They've already said they're they're done with the retro. They're looking forward, not to the past. So. Very good. There you go. All that right. just means they're going to re-retro a 70s version Mustang <laughs> and, and call be. it new. Mustang 2.0. On to our Motor Week mailbag. Uh, Remember, if you submit a question and we choose it to answer on the podcast, you'll get a fabulous pre-shrunk Motor Week t-shirt. Here we go. Uh, (laughs) Steve and his uh, wife asked this question together. What is the – we don't have his wife's name, which is why it says Steve and his wife on this piece of paper. (laughs) What is the advantage – oh, this is a good one. What is the advantage of push-button start over a regular key starter? And my wife wants to know the advantage of directional, unidirectional tires. So let's take the first one. Um, or we can start either way you want. Anyone you want. Unidirectional uh, tires are usually Let's start that with way. the button because right. I've got a good one. <laughs> All right, go. What are the advantages <laughs> or disadvantages of push-button start versus a regular key? Ben Davis. Uh, well, I didn't think there was any other than aesthetics, but my grandmother, who was getting on in age and had arthritis developing in her wrist, actually couldn't turn the key anymore. Very good. And Ooh. she loved it. It made her able to drive again, which 
she honestly stopped driving because she couldn't turn the key anymore. You know, I, I hadn't thought about that, but I actually had to put a handle on a key for my mom when her arthritis got that bad. And you're right, push yeah. button start with a solve that problem. That's wow. a good one. I think the real benefit and the reasoning is just less less mechanical parts, you know. Everything. Less wiring. Yeah. Well, I don't know about less wiring. Yeah, there's substantially apparently less wiring. But, you know, everything's just simpler and cheaper the way uh, everything needs to be built these days. And cooler. Yeah, there's a certain aesthetic quality to that. I got a safety thing that I actually uh, like. Most people, when they think about when they're – say the car's running away from you like we've seen some over the years – a lot of people will reach to the key to turn it off. Are you, what do you mean running away from you? As in acceleration? Say it's you know there's uh, all these unintended driving. acceleration. Oh, yeah, okay. People say the cars yeah, yeah. throttle sticks and the cars running away, and they either can't turn it off or when they turn it off, they turn the key all the way off. I'm talking about traditional keys now, and it locks the steering wheel. Right. Where with the push button, if you do hit it and manage to kill the engine, it doesn't lock the steering wheel. And so, to me, that seems to be a potential uh, plus. Hadn't thought of that one. Yeah. Very good. The, uh, however, a negative that a lot of people are also concerned with is that you can shut the motor off without putting the vehicle in park or putting the parking brake on, and it will roll away from you. So there seems to be – can't know, win this one. Uh, yeah, I don't more. think they're looking uh, for disadvantages. They were just uh, looking for well, I think that's, <laughs> that, is a, that is a big one because uh, we've heard a lot of cases where – uh, people in a hurry have jumped out of the car, and it's rolled away. Yeah, not to mention the whole is the key in the car, out of the car. You know, you oh, start... that happens a lot, too. That yeah. happened recently. Uh, I jumped into a car, and, uh, and the person who had the keys in his pockets jumped out. And um, I was still following that person in another vehicle, but it said key fob not detected. Yeah. And then who knows how far I could have gotten away. Yeah, well, some of them you can drive them forever. You know, once you get it started, yeah, you yeah. know, it's once game on. You can leave the car and uh, the key in the garage and once you can go to However, yeah, when yeah. you get to the other end, off, yeah. you'll be fine. <laughs> you, it's pretty scary. Yeah. I've gotten so accustomed to push-button start now that I've actually found myself uh, getting angry when I have to pull the key <laughs> yeah. out of my pocket yeah, and, death, and plug death it metal. in and turn it. I've literally had feelings of anger getting into a car and realizing it's not a push button well, then you know, i have you're, to you're around the office you're such a mild mannered oh, guy <laughs> the, um, i don't like the fact angry. that they're burying the push buttons behind uh, a stalk or something on so many cars i mean if you're going to do it show it off somewhere well the rav <laughs> the rav4 we have in has it in a good position yeah. the cx5 was Notably bad, right behind the washer. We're stall. just talking about the MKZ that has it right above all the uh, shifter yeah. buttons, which mm-hmm. took me a while at first to find. But when, once you know it's there, it's actually in a pretty easy spot. And that That's brings up another point: some manufacturers are making them so that they are not round. I, I keep looking for a round, yeah. one. and they don't stand out in any way, like the yeah. Lincoln. And yeah. the, we had some Chevy uh, in here recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it took the same way. I remember you saying, if you could get that started in 10 minutes, <laughs> couldn't find it. So, um, answer the tired question. Steve, I think that basically gives you some insight into what we think of push button start. There's mostly positives, we think, but there are some negatives, and it does require a change in how you uh, think about driving. Now, let's look at, uh, talk about the question real quickly that your spouse has raised about what is the advantage of directional tires? I think they're strictly for performance, whether it's, uh, you know, handling performance or channeling rain. They they generally, when you make the tread go only one way, you're able to increase the traction for whatever you're looking for, whether it's uh, uh, all-weather traction or or, uh, uh, performance tires, because they don't have to compromise by making it work both directions. However, it 
can make the tire more expensive. And you have to buy it more often since you can't rotate. Yeah. Hmm. Any other comments? I know there was a, there's a couple of off-road tire manufacturers that make directional tires, and the biggest argument against those is you've got more aggressive forward traction, but when it comes time to back up, back up you lose it's not it. there. Huh. That's a very good I point. I thought of that one. Uh, I think it seems like we're seeing less of them. Am I wrong about that? I mean, for a while they were on almost everything. Yeah, well, you just don't go to Mr. Tire and get new tires and end up with directionals. You have to pretty much seek them out and, and know the very performance expensive. advantages of them to, to even be in the market for them. So it tend, it's, I, the nutshell is that unless you're looking for the ultimate performance in whatever aspect the tire provides, whether it be dry uh, performance handling or wet or off-road, it's probably – Unless you're really going after that extreme limit, it's probably not worth the extra money if you have to pay for them. Are we going to send them two T-shirts? I think or we should do they send have to two T-shirts. No, no, we'll that was probably the longest we'll, we've ever talked about. Yeah. We'll be, it was a good a question. Two yeah. good questions. So yeah. thank you, Steve. Talking and bunch. thank you, Mrs. Steve, for those very good questions <laughs> for our mailbag. <laughs> and that brings to a close our Motor Week podcast number 88. I want to thank uh, all the uh, guys around the table, our producer, writer, and two-wheeling reporter, Brian Robinson. Our road test producer, Ben Davis. Our writer, Patrick Lucas. Our assistant producer, Greg Carlos. And also, Joe Ligo is the man on the bell. Also want to thank our <laughs> audio engineer. Weak. That was really weak, Jonah. Come on. That could be the last time you ever get to ring that bell. Not much better. Jim Bigwood, who's in the back and making sure that all of our voices go down perfectly, and our podcast creator, Bob Mixter. Thank you all for listening to our podcast. Be sure to watch Motor Week on your local public television stations and also on the Velocity Cable Channel. Till next time, I'm John Davis. For all of us at Motor Week, thanks for watching and listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. You have been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, 3M, and by DieHard. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.